the Wheel of Time Spoilers Podcast. Your hosts are Seth Jacobson and Patrick Heiler. Hi, I'm Seth. And I'm Patrick. Fires of Heaven, Chapter 5, Among the Wise Ones. And her symbol is the Flame of Tarvalin. Standing as close as she could to the small fire in the middle of the tent, Egwene still shivered as she poured water from the generous tea kettle onto a wide, blue-striped bowl. She lowered the sides of the tent, but cold seeped through the colorful layered rugs covering the ground, and all the fire's heat seemed to rush up and out of the smoke hole in the middle of the tent roof, leaving only the smell of burning cow dung. Her teeth wanted to chatter. Already the steam from the water was beginning to fade. She embraced Sidar for a moment and channeled fire to heat it more. A meese or bear would probably have washed in it cold, though in fact they always took sweat baths. So I'm not as tough as they are. I did not grow up in the waste. I don't have to freeze to death and wash in cold water if I don't want to. She still felt guilty as she lathered a cloth with a piece of lavender-scented soap bought from Haddon and Kadir. The wise ones had never asked her to do differently, but it still felt like cheating. Letting go of the true source made her sigh with remorse. Even trembling with cold, she laughed softly at her own foolishness. The wonder of being filled with the power, the wondrous rush of life and awareness, was its own danger. The more you drew on Sidar, the more you wanted to draw, and without self-discipline you eventually drew more than you could handle, and either died or stilled yourself, and that was nothing to laugh at. That's one of your biggest faults, she lectured herself firmly. You always want to do more than you're supposed to. You ought to wash in cold water. That would teach you self-discipline. Only there was so much to learn, and it sometimes seemed a lifetime would be too short to learn it. Her teachers were always so cautious, whether wise ones or I said I in the tower. It was hard to hold back when she knew that in so many ways she already outstripped them. I can do more than they realize. I thought that was a nice opening because that is, in essence, a game for the rest of the series. For the entire series, sure. really. I, I think at this point, this chapter is designed to show how much she has embraced the Aiel ways, um, specifically the way oh, it ends. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, like this is really where it's like she's internalized the moral structure of Jito and in her own head feels the guilt of someone who understands to her bones the consequences of honor and obligation. I, yeah, and I, I think she wants to be as good as the Aiel. Although, you know, towards the end of this chapter, when she and Avienda are having that conversation, Egwene says something like, you know, hey, listen, I, I don't understand G.E. Toe, but here's what I would do in this situation. And Avienda says something like, what do you mean you don't understand G.E. Toe? You follow it so closely. Yeah, you are G.E. Toe. Yeah, she's like, you're great at this. What are you talking about? And maybe it's a bit of a Two Rivers thing as well, or just culture in general. Like, Egwene's not going to, you know, say she's going to do something and then not, or set a goal for herself and completely fail in striving for it. Like, everyone has small failings, but she's going to follow through in the long run, as well as any hard-nosed Aiel. But she's also incredibly good at applying herself to the lessons of the culture of the Aiel. She has not only learned from the Aiel, she has become Aiel. She is so good at just taking that lesson onto herself. And I think that 
her as Omerlin is essentially putting a wise one in charge of the White Tower. Yeah, I think in some ways. Uh, one of the things I like so much about Egwene as a character, and maybe Envy, is just her ability to, her like pure ambition and her ability to just like, she's like a sponge. She just picks up everything she needs. And I, I do like the parallel that Aradia brings up here with uh, Tigraine, who went into the Waste and became Aiel like nobody else. She became a Maiden of the Spear. She was able to adapt to the ways of the Aiel. Um, and I think Egwene's only the second person to do that. And that's a very interesting... Hmm. Tigraine and Egwene? <laughs> one's his mother, one's his mirror. Something. Mirror. Yeah, I like that. I often think of Rand and Elaine as mirrors. The the yin and the yang, the, the fang and the tear. And Rand is... <sighs> Similar in many regards. He will do what is necessary, no matter the level of sacrifice. Right. He never hesitates. He never ever hesitates or tries to walk away from his responsibilities. Yeah, he bitches about it a little bit. Well, sure, but, you know, <laughs> don't we all? <laughs> uh, some of us more than others, yeah. 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 <laughs> I'll die, but I'll bitch about it the whole time. Fine. <laughs> right. You're going to kill me, but you're getting the real yeah. torture. You have to listen to me whine about well, it. And I really just had the idea that the, the the thought that he is trying, he's trying to make his sacrifice be mean everything and wipe. And a big part of the realization he has to come through in the last battle is that other people can also make sacrifices just because he has to make a sacrifice doesn't mean that other people can't. And I think Egwene is the, the biggest lesson in that regard. You know, she can be a hero too. Absolutely. She, you know, she is also not going to survive the last battle. Rian has this dumb idea in his head that he has to make the whole sacrifice by himself. And right. It's all on him when in fact, and any sacrifice by anyone else is a failing on his part. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Can't win the last battle by yourself. You're only a one human, no matter what advantages you might have. Yeah, that's a good point, Aradia. Very, very toxic masculinity, though. Like, I have to be responsible for everybody. It's very hard to ever see yourself as a worthy person if you think you have to be responsible, responsible for everyone. Well, of course you're going to fail. You don't have that kind of control. But also then it it results in rage and anyway. Yeah. Right. And you're all obviously undercutting everyone else's, everyone else's, what's the word I'm looking for here? Agency? I think that's the right word. We see his struggles with the maidens begin, I think in the last few chapters, but especially moving forward, uh, where, you know, it takes him like books to finally accept that really the maidens are just as brave and tough as he are as he is and he's just got to accept that uh it's one of the major plot lines in this uh book is where he is essentially trying to protect the maidens he keeps them out of the battle with kuladin he tries to prevent them from going with him to fight i think it's ravine yeah how many times do they have to beat the shit out of him before he gets to, they get it through his head? Like two or three times. They they, they literally kick his ass. Yeah. 
but yeah, there's at one point where like I think uh, Sor- uh, Sorelia or um, one of the maidens of the spear comes to him. Sulin comes to him. Thank you, Aradia. Where have you been my whole life? And comes and basically breaks the three spears. And if she goes to break the third one, and he like grabs her with the power, and and eventually he talks her out of it and says, "Yes, I will let the the maidens of the spear participate." And he says, "What what would have happened if you'd broken?" the third spear. And he says, and, and she basically says I would have had no honor. And, you know, basically saying I would have killed myself. Yeah. And it's like he, he, and he has to like bring the women back. He, he has to realize that by keeping them out of battle, he is keeping them from their purpose and essentially keeping them from living a life and, taking their wife away from him and making their own, like there's and making their own decisions. They're soldiers. They literally signed up for this a lifetime, right? right. For a lifetime. It's no, I, I think one of the best lines is that is where she says, yes, my spirit sisters would mourn me, but not a fingernail more than a man who fell in combat. And don't you dare, don't you dare mourn me and treat me differently than a man. Such, it's just such a great scene. Yeah, it's, it's just. What do you it, think? It, I'm special. What do you think? Anyone's yeah. special? You think you're special, Karakarn? <laughs> Haven't we taught you yet? You're not special. You're just a chief among chiefs. One of the chiefs. A chief among chiefs. We're lucky you let us. We we let you in our house. <laughs> Let's get back to Egwene. We have gone off on a major tangent here. That's cool. In any case. In this scene, Egwene is... So, right after that, a Gaishane enters the tent and says, If it pleases you, the wise, the wise one of me sent me to bring you to the sweat tent. And she uh, follows Kawind. She finds uh, this Gaishane's name is. And Kawind shows up. She has a very minor role, but she shows up a bunch later, mostly as a messenger believe she stays Gaishane the entire time to she's a, a former maiden of the spear who has decided she will never put off the white again she is that's her solution to the bleakness is basically saying we violated our oaths of nonviolence, and the only way to go back to that is to become Gaishane again and basically try and fulfill those oaths right and, and, and she's one of the first we we meet in the series but this this ends up happening quite a bit Later. There's a large group of permanent guy shine. And Egwene spent some time, like the next couple of pages, trying to question her and just like make friends. And Egwene doesn't understand what's going on, and Kawind won't explain. She like asks, Were you a maiden? And she says, I am Guy Shane. Before and after are not now and only now exists. And this goes on, essentially. What's your Sept and Clan? And she says, I serve Wise One Mulane of the Gerard Sept of the Goshen. And this keeps going, you know. She keeps saying, when's your time up? Like, when are you going home? Where are you from? And she, she just re- starts repeating, I am Guy Shane. I am Guy Shane. And she won't say anything else. She's submerged her identity into that of a servant. Later, I believe it's Melaine starts forcing Kawind to do useless labor to try to humiliate her into giving up her servitude, but she never gives up. No, as far as we know. 
I have to wonder if maybe after the last battle, some of those permanent guy Shane are able to reevaluate where they stand. I would hope so. That now that the IEL have paid back their debt, maybe they can rejoin society in a different way. The whole Quinn's whole purpose was just to shuttle her towards the wise one tent, wise one's tent. I also love in her head. I bet Rand doesn't have to put up with people wandering in on him whenever they want. It's like, of course she does. (laughs) (laughs) Was that the last chapter where Rand's just like standing around in his room and Avienda just walks in? Yeah, totally. She's like, who do you think you are? And he's like, Jesus, (laughs) they just let anyone in here. I thought I had guards. (laughs) And I think he's thinking like, I bet Egwene has like a comfy bed and like, a nice heated room, and here she is in this like shitty ass tent, like that's cold <laughs> as hell. And he, they, they just think the other one gets all the benefits. Oh yeah, and yeah. She also what is says, that? "I bet the the maidens carry him up hot water to fill a whole bath, and he doesn't even get a pallet on the floor." And we find out later he just has a he has like a pallet on the floor, and he's freezing every night. Yeah, <laughs> because he's trying. He doesn't want to burn the cow poop, which is their only source of fuel. <laughs> right, right, and he doesn't trust like, himself to use that standing fire weave when he's asleep because he yeah. can burn the whole place down. Yeah. It's like, I'd rather freeze than smell like poop. <laughs> and this is like the decisions that he's making with his daily life. <laughs> I mean, don't we all, those are the choices we all have to make. I mean, tough decision. Yeah. Shiver every night or smell like poop. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure which I would prefer. <laughs> More blankets. That's Rand, what Rand's attempts to do. Um, we see a little description of the Wise One's camp. We find out that... Is it Bear who won't sleep inside Ruidian? She she won't. Yeah. And she's like, nobody else will either. Deal with it. And all the other Wise One's like, yes, ma'am. Yeah. <laughs> so she's... Other than Soralia. And I think is not a dreamwalker, right? No. Okay. So there's three dreamwalkers. There were four, but one of them died. She's but just then, the, I think, eldest of the wise ones. Or the most... Uh, she can channel a little bit, so I do think she's old, but yeah, she's I also just s- the most stubborn. I'm going to look that up really quickly. I want to say, we find out later, she's one of the oldest people in the world. She's up there somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, she's very... You're right. She's very old. But of course, she can only channel a little, but she never took the oath, so... Because she's a wise. Yeah, that's that's always an interesting thing because we we hear a lot of times that strength and the power can make you live longer, and yet Soralia, who's weak as hell, she can barely even touch the power. Yeah, is very 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 old, and I always wondered about that inconsistency. The wiki, it's like she's almost as weak as like Morgays, you know. The wiki only says that she's well over two hundred. I don't see better information. Um, in a really quick search, anyway. Hmm. Okay, so not. She's very not old. Not the six, seven hundred. Yeah, yeah, no, not old for like a person, but not old for like not an Isidore. Cad Swain Level, who I think is got it, almost twice her age. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like that Doom Tremor. It's it's not the channeling. That's not how she lasted so long. She's just so willful. <laughs> when death knocks, she's like, "Wait your turn, get in line." <laughs> And death listens. 
Um, as Avian, or rather, as Egwene enters the Wise One's sweat tent, I have a little bit to read. Oh, I just have one comment before that. Yeah. Th- those plants, the Segwade? Oh, yeah. Segade the fat leafless. Yeah, those are the feathers that came from the cactuses, basically, as far as I can tell, right? Yeah. Fat, leafless, leathery thing? Just fat and leafless, so I figure it's like barrel cactus or a uh, saguaro. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or prickly pears is what Doom Traders Which say. have, yeah, that sounds right, which have beautiful flowers that look like they're made out mm-hmm. of silk. And what we did is we saw Rand picking those and give them to Avienda in the last chapter. Avienda didn't pick those for Egwene. She was standing there looking at them, thinking about Rand. Egwene came upon her, and I was like, oh, um, I picked these for you. Yeah. But she didn't pick them. Rand did. He mentions it, like, in his uh, internal monologue that he spent a bunch of time picking flowers from a cactus. He cut himself a bunch. Until he realized he could use the power. Trying to make Avienda happy. And she's totally, like... She's getting a little enamored. Oh, she's head over heels. Yeah, totally. And that's what's totally distracting her for this entire chapter, is her thinking about, like, Rand and how much she's totally in love with him and how freaking much that disturbs her. Yeah, I think that she's not in control is really what drives her nuts. She's not in control of herself and everything that's happening around her. And this is all taking place outside of Ruidian, right? Just outside, yeah. Just outside, yeah. So they went back to Ruidian. Bear will not re-enter Ruidian. She won't break the old rule, but otherwise ones slowly are. It's just Bear is, she won't. But everyone else, so they, they were at Ruidian, they went to the Golden Bowl, and then they came back to Ruidian. Yes, but they did not, they didn't enter This, at least this small group hasn't. Well, Rand is. He's, he, this, this group of wise ones hasn't, right. but Rand, Rand does. Yeah. Because Rand's sleeping, the, the whole, the hold with the maidens in it is one of the buildings of Ruidian. Right. And, uh, and other wise ones, it's mentioned, are as well right. going into Ruidian, right. but some won't. I think Sorlea is one of them, actually, that uh, will go in, uh, in any case. And we'll read this bit here. I thought this was a nice little scene set. The three wise ones who were teaching her about dream walking sat sweating unconcernedly, their waist length hair hanging damply. Bear was talking to Melaine, whose green eyed beauty and red gold hair made a sharp contrast to the older woman's leathery face and long white tresses. Amice was white haired too, or perhaps it was just so pale a yellow that it seemed white but she did not look old. She and Melaine could both channel, not many wise ones could, and she had something of the eyes that I look of agelessness about her. Moraine, seeming slight and small beside the others, also looked unruffled. Although sweat rolled down her pale nudity and slicked her dark hair to, to her scalp, with a regal refusal to acknowledge that she had no clothes on. The wise ones were using slim, curved pieces of bronze, called stara, to scrape off sweat in the day's dirt. Avienda was squatting beside the big black kettle of hot, sooty rocks in the middle of the tent, carefully using a pair of tongs to move a last stone from a smaller kettle to the larger. That done, she sprinkled water onto the rocks from a gourd, 
adding to the steam. If she let the steam fall too far, she would be spoken to sharply at the very least. The next time the wise ones met in the sweat tent, it would be Egwene's turn to tend the rocks. Egwene cautiously sat down cross-legged next to Bear. Instead of layered rugs, there was only rocky ground, unpleasantly hot, lumpy, and damp, and realized with a shock that Avienda had been switched, and recently. When the Aiel woman gingerly took her own place beside Egwene, she did so with a face as stony as the ground, but a face that could not hide her flinch. This was something Egwene did not expect. The wise ones exacted a hard discipline, harder even than the tower, which took some doing, but Avienda worked at learning to channel with a grim determination. She could not dreamwalk, but she surely put as much effort into absorbing every art of a wise one as she could ever have put into learning her weapons as a maiden. Of course, after she confessed to letting Ran know about the wise ones watching his dreams, they had made her spend three days digging shoulder-deep holes and filling them in again, but that was one of the few times Avienda had ever seemed to put a foot wrong. Amis and the other two held her up to Egwene so often as a model of meek obedience and proper fortitude that sometimes Egwene wanted to shriek, even if Avienda was a friend. "'You took long enough in coming,' Bear said grumpily, while Egwene was still gingerly searching for a comfortable seat. Her voice was thin and reedy, but a reed of iron. She continued to scrape her arms with a stare. "'I am sorry,' Egwene said. "'There, that should be meek enough,' Bear sniffed. "'You are I, said I, beyond the dragon wall, but here you are yet a pupil, and a pupil does not dally. When I send for Avienda, or send her for something, she runs, even if all I want is a pin. You could do much worse than to pattern yourself after her.' Flushing, Egwene tried to make her voice humble. "'I will try, Bear.' This was the first time a wise one had made the comparison in front of others. She sneaked a glance at Avienda, and was surprised to find her looking thoughtful. Sometimes she wished her near-sister were not such a good example. "'The girl will learn, Bear, or she will not,' Mullane said irritably. We'll leave it there. Um, I like that scene a lot. First of all, it's just like, I feel like it's our first, like, one of our first sweat tent scenes where they're dis discussing serious plotting and strategy, but also when Bear is chastising Egwene for not showing up fast enough and says, you would do well to be more like Avienda. She's a much better student than you. Avienda looks at her and then Egwene looks at her because they've been saying that to both of them. Right. <laughs> they keep telling each other that the other one is the better student to make them... And I'm convinced that's her messing up and doing it in front of both of them. I'm convinced that's a strategy to only, they're like only trying to say it in front of one of them. Yeah. And not the other. I'm convinced that they're both excellent students and they're just trying to, to nip and pinch at them so that they work even harder. They're just trying to drive them yeah. by making it sound Egwene like they're like... not winning. And Avian to Avienda, that's unacceptable. And to Egwene, that's also unacceptable. They have to be the best. <laughs> but they're also using each other's strengths to play off the other one's weaknesses, right? Yeah. Like Elaine is so good at learning to channel that they're like pushing Avienda and being like, listen, we, we sure something in channeling once and she's got it instantly. You need to be that good. And it, that's of course like a huge talent of hers. And so Avienda is like desperately trying to keep up in terms of that. Meanwhile, Avienda knows the Aiel way of behavior really well and never messes that up. But Elaine is still making a lot of mistakes Egwene. when it comes to sort of Egwene. Sorry. 
uh, is making a lot of mistakes when it comes to uh, sort of honor. And so that's where they like, they both have their flaws, which are like not that significant and they're both working really hard, but they're sort of pointing out like this person's good where you're flawed and vice versa. Right. Avienda has the sense of urgency of, I guess, an Aiel where Egwene is different in that regard. She doesn't think to sprint just because someone said, hey, come meet me here. Whereas Avienda, as a soldier, is better. At- it's a shame they don't spend a lot more time together. I had that thought while reading this chapter. I like their dynamic sort of as as both extremely high achievers but part of me also wants to say that elaine needs her more (laughs) yeah and they have to um you know come to some agreements and work a couple things out elaine and they they do yeah they have to get to know each other if they're gonna be stuck with the same guy but and there's there's a whole host of things that's going through avienda's head right now that are making her crazy because she's both falling in love with Rand and trying to preserve him for Elaine. Yeah, which uh, we we get to see the seed of that in a moment here, but or I guess at the end of this chapter. But um, here, Egwene enters and basically sits quietly, and the three wise ones are in mid conversation with Moraine, and we we're kind of able to pick it up through context. The first thing is Ami saying, you know, it may be that the Aiel will serve the Aes Sedai again, but that time has not come yet, Moraine Sedai. Her scraping barely paused as she eyes this, eyed the Aes Sedai quietly. And what Moraine is essentially trying to do here is convince the Wise Ones not to let Rand lead the clans over the Dragon Wall. Yeah, which is Rand's plan. She's trying to, she's obviously been arguing with him on that. And is now trying to go to the source and be like, well, Rand won't budge, so maybe if I go to the wise ones, I can stop this from happening. I'm going to read this slightly out of order, but to encapsulate this conversation, I believe it's Moraine that says, oh no, sorry, Moraine says, if you allow this, it will be disastrous. Years of planning are coming to fruition, and he means to ruin it all. Plans of the White Tower, Ami said so smoothly she might have been agreeing, those plans have nothing to do with us. We, and the other wise ones, must consider what is right for the Aiel. We will see that the Aiel do what is best for the Aiel. But I also wanted to read, like, two paragraphs before that. In Egwene's mind, we see her think, Once she had worried about the wise ones being browbeaten and dominated, hauled away whenever they wanted. I said I never let any woman who could channel run free of the tower for long. She did not worry anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Moraine's sitting there making an impassioned argument, and these women are just like slowly scraping their limbs, I imagine, with this bronze thing, and like not even really. They're only listening to what she has to say because she's an Aes Sedai. That's right. it. They, Otherwise, they kick her right out. They're like, yeah, we're not going to do that. <laughs> I really hope this scene is like the least sexy thing in the world. I hope everyone's like sweaty and gross and like old. Like I really <laughs> want this scene to not to be like non-sexual nudity. Yeah. I I I feel that. I feel like in most cinema and and shows 
when there's a female actress that's naked, it's about sexuality in like almost all cases, or it's meant to be a sexy scene. But in this scene, there are no men at all, and no one cares. They're just watching. No. Let's let's make this feel like a battle scene where Matt and the five the four generals are gathered around a map planning for battle. You know, like let those scenes feel the same way. Like those battle those scenes aren't sexy. They're planning. They're dialogue. That's what this is. Yeah. The wise ones are deciding whether or not to interfere with Rand's plans to lead all the clans across the Dragon Wall and Lord knows the amount of destruction. Right. Exactly. This is the wise one's war room is the, the sweat tents. Yeah. Like this is, this is the planning. So I forgot that my boss actually saved four uh, stout samples for me. Nice. And so I've got a left hand brewing hardwired nitro stout in a can from Colorado. Oh, I always liked their, um, symbol because it looks like, the band of the red hand symbol. Exactly. Exactly. So look them up. It's the band of the left hand brewing left hand. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, it is. I mean, I guess it does. It's you can't tell if you're looking at the palm or the back of the hand. So it could be either hand, but it's supposed to be left hand brewing. So it's, it's supposed to be the left hand. So yeah, but the band of the red hand <laughs> and they make one of the most killer, milk stouts that I've ever had. It was like one of the, one of the first beers I really fell in love with, um, nice. was, was the left hand brewing like, and they're, they're mostly an East coast brewery, so we don't get them out here very often. So I'm, I'm super, super excited to crack this beer open. I'm just worried that it's going to be terrible. Cause it's in a can. <laughs> uh, just, you know, because it's, it's just a, you know, I, I, you never know, right? It's it's entirely possible that after a few years, it's been a while since I've had a left-hand brewing beer. Oh, yeah. That they could just be really bad, you know? And it's a different one. I haven't had this one in particular. Oh, man. Some of our bags got jumbled around after coming home from camping, and Julia had this random can of Pinot Noir in her bag, and she was like, whatever, we'll just drink this. Cracked it open last night and tasted it. Disgusting. Oh, no. And I have like a pallet of lead. <laughs> I don't really, I, I, I can consume just about anything. <laughs> I'm not really squeamish like that, but I had two sips of it and I just like, I, I kept trying to make myself drink it. And then I just poured it down the drain and cracked a regular beer. I was like, I, I can't, this is garbage. <laughs> I hate it. Uh, but back to the book. I have a little bit to read at the end of the conversation that helps, I thought helped further illustrate it with Moraine, um, as she is dismissed in a moment here. And this is All right, I got to say, Left Hand Brewing makes some good fucking beer. Yeah. <laughs> oh, this is tasty. It's, it, it's a, sort of a dry, clean stout. That's the kind of stout I not, like. Not, yeah. But with a little bit of that coffee taint, but not like overwhelming. Hmm. Okay, we we should pick up back where we left off. Yeah. Oh, I want to talk a little bit about Avienda's beating. Oh, right. We were talking about that, I think, in the last, like, two episodes. But my theory is that Avienda's two lies that she asked to be beaten for. Oh, I think Egwene brings that up with one of the wise ones in a moment, but we can talk about it now. Yeah. 
I think the two lies are, well, the flower. And we see Egwene talk about that. But we can put that together because we saw Rand pick the flowers from his perspective right. and send them. And then we see Avienda holding them in the next chapter. Right. The same flowers. Or the same type of flower. And when Egwene, says, when Egwene stumbles upon her, Avienda says, Oh, I picked these for you. <laughs> and Lie. gives them to her. Lie one. Um, and I think the other lie is that she tells Rand Althor that she hates him. Also agreed. Yeah? I think okay. she loves him. Oh, I thought you were going to dissent. Yeah. No, no, I'm 100% behind those two. I think you brought them up last time, and I was like, yep, yep. <laughs> that's, that's exactly what I think, yeah. And that's why she asked to be beaten, because uh-huh. it's beneath the honor of a maiden to lie, even for a good cause. And I mean, those are both pretty like, uh, yeah, I picked these for you when someone else picked them for you is like, okay, you're not hurting anybody there. And then the other yeah, one, you don't like, have to I talk hate about you. that if you don't want yeah. to, it's not like some right. important thing. It's some boy likes you. You don't have to be embarrassed about it. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and then the other one is a little more serious in terms of like telling Rand a really direct lie. That is the opposite of the truth. Uh, right. But that's also to protect her honor. So she's in this little honor trap that she's made for herself. So it very much is just like, you don't have to say you hate him. You only, you just need to get Elaine's permission to bang him, basically. <laughs> Which is why she asks here, uh, she asks Egwene, do you think uh, anyone of your land could ever accept a sister wife? Yeah. Says, I want some permission from... Elaine to bang Rand. I mean, what? No idea what you're talking about. I was going to read the end of the conversation between Moraine and the Wise Ones. This is Moraine's final rally to try to get the Wise Ones on her side. You believe it will not be a catastrophe for the Aiel as well? It must uh, Talking about leading the clans over the Dragon Wall. It must have been difficult to sound as cool as a winter stream when you glistened from head to foot with condensed steam and your own sweat. But Moraine apparently had no difficulty. It will be the Aiel War all over again. You will kill and burn and loot towns as you did then, until you have turned every man and woman against you. The fifth is our due, Aes Sedai, Moraine said, throwing her long hair back over her shoulder so she could work the stara across a smooth shoulder. Even heavy and damp, with the steam, her hair glistened like silk. We took no more even from the tree-killers. Her glance at Moraine was too bland not to be significant. They knew she was Kyrianan. Your kings and queens take as much in their taxes. And when the nations turn against you, Moraine persisted, in the Aiel War, the nations united and turned you back. That can and will happen again, with great loss of life on both sides. None of us fears death, I said I, Amis told her, smiling gently as if explaining something to a child. Life is a dream from which we all must wake before we can dream again. Besides, only four clans crossed the Dragon Wall under Janduin. Six are here already, and you say Randall Thor means to take all of the clans. The prophecy of Ruidian says he will break us. The spark in Mullane's green eyes could have been for Moraine, or because she was not as resigned as she sounded. What does it matter, whether it is here or beyond the Dragon Wall? You will lose him... The support of every nation west of the Dragon Wall, Moraine said. She looked as calm as ever, but an edge in her voice said she was ready to chew rocks. 
He must have their support. He has the support of the Aiel Nation, Bear told her in that fragile, unyielding voice. She emphasized her words by gesturing with a slim metal blade. The clans have never been a nation, but now he makes us one. We will not help you turn him in this, Moraine Sedai, Amis added just as firmly. You may leave us now, I Sedai, if it pleases you, Bear said. We have discussed what you wish to discuss as much as we will tonight. It was politely said, but a dismissal all the same. Bam. <laughs> yeah. Couple of points. So first of all, Moraine's make both Moraine and the Aiel are making a few pretty terrible assumptions. First of all, Moraine is making the wetlander assumption that the Aiel are going to take the fifth from every land that Rand leads them into. And and Moraine does say the fifth is our due, but Rand does prevent them from taking a lot of that. Yes. And second, she's like, well, you got turned back during the Aiel War, which is not true at all. They successfully completed their mission and left. Oh, yeah. And these wise ones here sitting here know that. They were yeah, all alive like, when it was happening. They just don't bother like, to refute that. And like, first of all, it was four clans. Second of all, what they we kicked your ass. What they refute all, is that they're afraid to die here or there. Right. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. I thought that was even more powerful. Totally. You know, totally. She's like, there will be and 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 he, they don't lose in the support of the nations. That the Aiel behind him gains him the support of nations. People flock to folks with power. Right. And I, I think Moraine is also making a bad assumption. She seems to be assuming that Rand means to take the Aiel over the Dragon Wall and forcibly conquer all the nations one by one, which is not at all his intent. So that's all being taken at face value. However, I very much agree with Bambi. That's assuming Moraine doesn't know the prophecy that she's going to die in the Redstone Terangriel. She does know. Right. So, being that she knows she's going to die in that, and I think she may be pushing against the prophecy here. She may be trying to change things to try and see if she can... If she doesn't have to die. If she doesn't have to die, basically. That is a great observation. Because a lot of these things, it seems just like, uh, Moraine, you, you may be, I think you're wrong about this. Like, it seems like she's wrong about a lot of these points. And it seems like she's smarter than that, you know? I, I like that. Doom Trip. Doom Tremor's saying she just wants to make sure Rand will have backup when she dies, and I think that's an interesting idea. I wouldn't be terribly surprised if that's what's going through her head. Especially that Moraine lets it go after Bear dismisses her. She doesn't really have to leave. I don't believe they actually throw her out of the tent. But she leaves right away. And, then, and she never really brings it up again, I don't think. It's not like yeah, and she stops... She also gets the reaffirming line, if that is what her intent was. She gets the reaffirming line when, was it Bear? So the leader of the Wise Ones, in this 10 anyway, says, um, when Moraine says he must have the support of the nations in the wetlands, is what, what she's saying. And Bear says, he has the support of the Aiel nation. She says, we weren't a nation before. Essentially, what she's saying is, we used to be 12 nations. Now we're one. And, I mean, the waste is 
probably a little less populated, but it's the it's approximately the size of the wetlands, maybe bigger. Oh, it's much bigger. I don't. I have no idea how to estimate the number of Aiel warriors that come over the wall, and not every Aiel goes uh, over the wall. You know, we see in a little while. I think in the next chapter, one of the clan chiefs says that like all the clans are coming and they've only left behind the barest number of the barest number of spears is what he says to protect livestock and kith and kin basically. So they're all vulnerable to attack now. This This is one of those things where I've read like research papers on how many people can live in the waste based on saw. Like I I think I've actually read like a legitimate graduate research paper on like how people survive in the waste and the numbers and all that kind of stuff. So I think it's beyond the scope of this podcast, which is crazy. I don't think I'd ever say that, but like there's a lot of fucking, it's a big place. It is scrubland. They save every bit of water and they're able to grow quite a bit of crops. It is, you know, very dry, scrubby land, but, you know, so is, like, a, a lot of... Southwestern U.S., right? Like Yeah, a lot of Asian minor is... Mm-hmm. The birthplace of civilization is... You know, I imagine when I see pictures of Israel, I kind of see the waste in my head. It's a dry place. But a lot of people live there. You just have to know what you're doing. Anyway, I have no idea how many I yield there are. A lot. <laughs> do we ever... Does, can, does anyone know? Do we ever see even like a number of warriors brought from a specific clan say so they tell avienda to pour tea and she's forgotten it because she's thinking about her crush rand and how messed up she is over it yep and the flowers and all that kind of crap maidens throwing down their spears every day she's so distracted yep after Egwene asks and bear explains a little bit about Avienda's punishment. Bear says, Bear nodded as if it were not very much out of the ordinary at all. I gave her a few extra for troubling me with it. Meaning stripes. Yeah, you beat her a little <laughs> bit for making me. It is a stupid reason to get beaten. If G was involved, her obligation is not to me. Very likely her so-called lies were nothing anyone but a Fardaris Mai would worry about. Maidens, even former maidens, are sometimes as fussy as men. Amis gave her a flat look that was plain even in the fixed team. She's also an ex-maiden. Trained by Bear. So <laughs> Bear's like, <laughs> yeah, training ma- maidens, very difficult. <laughs> and Amis uh-huh. is like, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> everyone, there's those comments she throws in every once in a while. It's like, you were a difficult, you were an, I mean, it's not as bad as you were. She lasted as almost, you know, that like whole comment, like when Avienda's about to be raised to a wise one and they're like really abusing the crap out of her. And there's like, she's almost as stubborn as she, you were. Yeah. As a meese. Implying yeah. that it, <laughs> implying it took a meese longer. <laughs> of course, I don't think they were treating as meese, a meese as badly because they were trying to push Avienda as fast as they could, but still. Right. I forget. Oh, was it, I think it was that a tells Avienda after she's raised to wise one that, Amis tried to run away three separate times to rejoin the the maidens. 
and I think like the first two times the wise ones catch catch her, and the third time the maidens just like like pick her up and throw her back into her like you're not you don't belong here anymore. And that's Amis when, or Avienda. Amis. Amise ran away eleven. She has like way more than three. I think they like it's like the first month it was like eleven, the second month it was like five, the third month it was like two. You just will not accept, yeah. Yeah, it was like a ton of times. She tried to run away like almost every night the first <laughs> month. It wasn't it wasn't a couple of times. Yeah. So she was she was I don't know. I, I often think that Bear is like exaggerating for comedic effect just to be like, yeah, you were we walked uphill both ways in the snow. Like <laughs> back when you were an apprentice, you were terrible. But Amis confirms uh, it way, well, way later in the book that she was difficult. Yeah, yeah. She was pretty difficult. Yeah. They just send people Which to hunt her down. Which I think is funny about a lot of our powerful women were all difficult students. Suan and Moraine were pranksters. Like, obviously, Egwene, Nynaeve, and Elaine don't follow any fucking rules. Yeah, it's a trap. Let's jump into it. <laughs> Again. And, like, yeah, it's just you look at the White Tower, and, like, our most powerful Varen, obviously, is not a rule follower. Uh, even um, Van Dien and Adelias did a lot of the research outside of the White Tower. Just, they're not big in rules. Todd Swain, sure, learned from the... Does whatever the hell she wants. Yeah, she learned from a wilder. She retires every couple of years, and then something interesting happens, and she's like, yeah, I'm back. (laughs) I'm not dead yet. Heard he needed help again. Bunch of kids. I will will admit, Cod Swain... I have one problem with Cod Swain. She was, for such a legendary figure, she was not mentioned once before she shows up. Yeah, d- don't. and as good as Jordan is, it is foreshadowing. I would have thought he would have been like someone would have mentioned that amazing Codswain who died but did amazing things. I know they thought she was dead, but like they assumed she was dead because she portion. had been gone yeah. so long and she was already so old. That, but give me some foreshadowing. You foreshadow so much else. <laughs> For you know, like Jane Farstrider gets like pages of foreshadowing before he shows up. Yeah. Um. Like, give me just a little bit on Codswain, this legendary Aes Sedai who I've never fucking heard of. Right. Like, that is a good question for Team Jordan Bambi. Yeah. But no, I mean, I I know directly from Teen Jordan, she was always in the planning. He always planned to have Codswain. He she was definitely in the notes. She's just very early on. The mystery, the yeah, I know that for a stir fact. Stir up the mix, person. Yeah. So I just I just wonder why he didn't bother including her name or any foreshadowing for her at any earlier point in the in the books. That is a good question to ask. Not necessarily like when did he think of her, but why didn't he include any foreshadowing for her? For her, because so many other characters are foreshadowed. Why would this legendary Aes Sedai never be mentioned? Um, but after the conversation with Moraine, we see the stuff about Avienda. The next thing I have to note is a lot of the the Aiel who are suffering from the bleakness go to the wise ones, the lost ones. The Lost Ones? Go, sorry, yeah. Go to Lost Ones, go to the, the Tinkers. Yeah. Who have fled to the Waste in greater numbers than ever because it's a place of safety, right? Like, the Aiel aren't going to hurt them, and no one else is in the Waste. So, 
the Tinkers can come there and at least not have anyone attack and kill them. And Kyrian is in upheaval, so right. the Aiel think that they're running. So that makes a lot of sense. And then you have all these um, Aiel who are going to the Tinkers. And that, would I would love to see a subplot of an Aielman in a Tinker ca- caravan with the, like, dancing the Taganza. Singing. <laughs> hmm? Singing. Yeah, and the singing Aielman and all that sing. stuff. Aielman don't sing, right? Like, that that would be such a great scene to see, like, a couple of Aielman in in a tinker camp. Um, so, because that's where they're going, right? They say right there, there's tons of, tons of lost, uh, tons of the lost are going to the lost ones, which makes a lot of sense. Although we see in, uh, chapter six, when the maidens see that Melindra is sleeping with Matt and they tell him to, or tell her to teach him how to sing. <laughs> the implication <laughs> being that men don't, Aiel men don't sing Unless a maiden gets their hands on him. If you know what I mean. <laughs> Come on, it's cute. <laughs> it's a euphemism. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> I've always thought that was a euphemism. Stand out there chanting, oh, it for sure is. <laughs> Teach him how to sing, Melindra. Eh, eh. I'm mm-hmm. elbowing, you mm-hmm. can't see that, but... <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, Aradia is a little sophomoric, but they're soldiers, you know? That's the way I see it, anyway. It's the same, like, they're just flipping the gender, the typical gender thing on its head. And that's the whole thing with the maidens when they're, like, outside the the tent when Avienda and Rand get together, like, bat- banging spears against them, calling out insults and all that kind of stuff when they get married. <laughs> it's like... It's very ritualistic. Mm, went over bleakness in this chapter. Oh, I was going to read very quickly. In response to the bleakness conversation, Egwene says, I thought you were reconciled to the changes he brings, Egwene said, sympathy welling up in her voice. But Bear responds, reconciled, Bear said, as though tasting the word, better to say we endure them as best we can. So she's saying, no, 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 you, you got us wrong here. We're not comfortable and easygoing about this. We're just doing what we have to. Let me tell a story about my college days. Um, so I lived in a dorm all four years. Uh, and, of course, people oh, had no. sex in the dorms. Because <laughs> Cause yes, it's college. Because <laughs> it's college. And the dorm I lived in was actually cinder block walls and sort of a winding hall. So it was relatively soundproof it was a fucking prison but it was relatively soundproof but we had this one dude sorry this one girl who would bring her boyfriend over Uh, he must have been a local or something i don't know if he, he wasn't from college he was older and they just had the loudest sex that you could hear from end to end of this relatively soundproof hallway like you could play music loud like she would scream and so we all get together and like basically gather around the doorway because we'd all be fucking woken up by whatever was going on or it was the middle of the afternoon and we'd we'd be like what the fuck is going on and so and and so screaming 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 and then at one time and this didn't happen that often, but like this one time we were all gathered around 
And it comes to an end. And you hear pause. And you hear, Ew, it's like a fountain. And we just died. The entire fucking hall was out there. Just died laughing. Well, that's mortifying. Just fucking burst out. And like, you, you know they heard us just dying inside there. My whole point, my whole point, is that Robert Jordan does a very good job of writing characters that enjoy sex without being crude, like I just was. <laughs> and I really enjoy the fact that even though his characters aren't crude, and some might say some of his stuff is a little censored, like you don't see a lot of sex. It's not like it's, you don't have sex scenes. His characters obviously enjoy getting physical with each other. And I really just appreciate the way he approaches that. He does do a really good job at flipping the gender roles, like with the Melindra thing. I feel like that's a, the sort of thing you would expect a bunch of like bros to say, sure. you know, sure. Yeah, get it, girl. And Matt's like standing there covering his bits. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, why are all these people here? <laughs> Making the Two Rivers boys the sort of demure ones. And, right. Um, well, they do have Aiel women or Saldean women or, you know, whatever. The kind of empowered ones. All right. So where are you? I've lost track. The maidens cluster about him as though they owe him more than their own clans, Bear added. For the first time ever, they have allowed a man beneath the roof of the maidens. For a moment, Amis looked about to say something, but whatever she knew about the inner workings of, Far of Fardaris Mai, she shared with no one but those who had been maidens of the spear. I'm just going to continue on because this is actually really important. I highlighted this paragraph, yeah. The chiefs no longer listen to us as they did, Melaine muttered. Oh, they ask our advice as always. They have not become complete fools, but Bale will no longer tell me what he has said to Randall Thor, or Randall Thor to him. He says I must ask Randall Thor, who tells me to ask Bale. The Karakarn, I can do nothing about, but Bale? He has always been a stubborn, infuriating man, yet now he is beyond all bounds. Sometimes I want to thump his head with a stick. Amis and Bear chuckled as if that were a fine joke, or perhaps they just wanted to laugh to forget the changes for a time. There are only three things you can do with a man like that, Bear chortled. Stay away from him, kill him, or marry him. Melaine stiffened, her sun-dark face going red. I thought I would leave it there, because... Of at least two relationships I know of, Bear calls it long in advance, slam dunk. <laughs> Bear says, like, well, Melaine, you have three things to pick from. Well, Avienda, you have no things to pick from because you're <laughs> you're my novice right. and you'll do what I tell you to do, <laughs> which is go hang out with that Randall Thor boy you hate so much. We'll talk about this in a month when you're married. <laughs> yeah. I And I think that especially because immediately after this, we see... More steam, Melaine said. Um, they're, you know, continuing on. Egwene, Amis said, sipping her tea. How would Randall Thor take it if Avienda asked to sleep in his sleeping chamber? Avienda froze with a gourd in his hands. In his, Egwene grasped. You cannot ask her to do that thing. You can't. 
Fool girl, Bear muttered. We do not ask her to share his blankets, but will he think that is what she asks? Will he even allow it? Men are strange creatures at best, and he was not raised among us, so he is stranger still. And Egwene's like spluttering. Well, and I <laughs> has always, no idea what to say. I always forget that one of the reasons that Avian is so mad at Rand is she thinks he's flirting with Asendra. Well, we see here. I'm skimming through. This isn't a page or two, but when Avienda and Egwene have a moment to talk about it, the wise ones leave. They're done with their meeting, and they're there, like cleaning up the tent and putting things away. And oh yes, we see later where Avienda says something like, "Wouldn't be surprised if he's messing around with that Ascendra or however she says it." And Egwene says, "Do you really think he did?" And Avienda's like, "No." But. <laughs> but, but why is she keep flirting? Like, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, why does she keep trying if he's not encouraging right. her? And he's not. But I don't think anyone really believes it. It's kind of like when it's like, I'm mad at you for the shit you did in your dreams. But I didn't <laughs> do it. It's just a dream you had. It's not my fault. Of course, in the Wheel of Time, shit you did in your dreams is very different. Um, <laughs> that phrase. But uh, way before that, while they're still talking about having Avienda, like, sleep near Rand, like, bunk style, like, dorm style. Yep. Like, they're, they would never ask her to actually sleep with him. But I believe that Bear's aim here is twofold. One is to break Avienda <laughs> because she hates this so much. Then she should just get the fuck over it. Okay. Yeah. That it, it's, but the second part is that I, be, I believe that Bear knows Avienda's feelings for Rand and Rand's feelings for Avienda. She, at first, this she was trying something out. Now she realizes that it's a thing. Mm-hmm. And the only thing preventing what she wants to happen from happening is Avienda's iron will. Stupid maiden honor. <laughs> she wants it. He wants it. They just, like, put these two kids together and make them hang out a bunch, and eventually they're going to actually... And forcing them to sleep in the same same tent leads to things like changing in the same tent, and like, oh, just turn your back for a second, and... And even just spending time with each other, and uh, I've said this in previous episodes, but, like, that's not weird, like, that's why, you know, coworkers or fellow students that have a lot of classes together, so, so that's such a common way for couples to meet. Because you spend 40, 40 hours a week or more with someone, and it's not that weird that you got to know each other and liked each other. You know, you know the number one predictor of who you're going to get together with for the rest of your life? No. How close you live to them? Interesting. <laughs> it's, it's like, it's <laughs> stupid. It's like you're you're most likely to get together with someone who lives near you, right? Like, Because you can. Because you can. And that's like you have a radius and there's a relatively small number of people who live within that radius. And chances are, you know, you're not going to start dating someone from across the country unless you're a fan of this podcast and meet somebody in the discord and get together that way. (laughs) (laughs) And we see in a moment, I believe that actually bears plan. And again, wildly speculating, but I believe bears plan is beginning to work. And this is what makes her 
continue, essentially, when Avienda says, I cannot, Avienda mumbled. I will not, and she, like, raises her voice a little. And Amis, not Bear, in this case, says, I am glad to see you no longer hold your emotions so tightly, Avienda. Maidens are foolish as men when it comes to that. I remember it well, and it embarrasses me still. Letting emotions go clouds your judgment for a moment, but holding them, but holding them in clouds it always. Just be sure you do not release them too often, or when it is best to keep control of them. Which is really excellent advice. It's one of those things that made me think about RJ and be like, how long did it take you to come up with that? It's smart, and it's good advice, and I think Avienda's starting to break down. When she says, I will not, to a wise one, I think that she's actually giving Bear what she wants. Okay. She's showing Bear that she has a backbone and she will stand up for herself. You just have to push her really hard. Fair. Okay. She's trying to beat the soldier out of her, essentially. <laughs> Does that make you see what I'm trying to say? Like she's so disciplined. Right. She's so, yeah, on point that that's actually not what she wants. She needs to think for herself, not like a soldier. Wise ones don't follow anyone's orders. That's Avienda's journey, is to have to, like, yeah. basically become her own independent thinker and think independently of uh, a goals. Because, you know, she has thought as a soldier, which is, oh, there's something in front of me I have to kill, kill it. Right? Like, and that's not how wise ones think. Right. The, a lot of times what's directly in front of you is not necessarily your goal. I think that's a big part of the journey. And we see Bear kind of making jokes out of the side of her mouth about it that because what bear wants and what all the wise ones want are um again wise ones don't follow orders from anyone not even another wise one especially not another wise one they follow they may follow they may accede to a request from another wise one if they believe it is wise that is the only reason that they listen to anyone right when that that's why they have to beat the soldier out of her they have to beat the discipline out of her which is kind of a weird thing to say but she has to think for herself but as long as she follows orders she's going to be punished <laughs> to a degree yes <laughs> she has to realize that part of her job now is unlike a soldier whose job is to follow orders, not ask questions. Your job is to um, execute, not think. You know, when you, uh, you're... A, As a soldier. Right. Whereas, you know, the people in the Pentagon and the generals and whoever are the ones that think. They make the orders that are then executed by... One of the things I really like is when she applies some of her battle techniques as a maiden of the spear to her fighting as an wise one and a channeler when she's taking down Grendel. That's I, that, that was one of my favorite passages written by um, Sanderson was the, the yeah, I'm not mixing it. Yeah. Um, that was such a fucking great fighting scene. Heslam. That's right. So it was the transition to Grendel that was post. Right. Cause she was killed just as a punishment, right? Yes. There was no 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 hero killed her the first time. Yeah. She's killed and brought back in a ugly body as a punishment. I like that you brought that up, Seth. I feel like that adds to my point that 
The point isn't that Avienda didn't learn anything or her training as a soldier wasn't important. What matters now is that she realizes she is no longer a soldier and she should not be blindly following orders. Right, right. And like, yeah, she uses her skills as a battle leader during that battle, but that doesn't mean that she's just a soldier anymore. She, she needs to become a, a thinker and a, you know, a leader, not a follower. Ugh, there's more good stuff that they say here. Yeah, um, this is such a, this is one of those deep chapters. There's so much, uh, I, you know, I've said this over and over and over again, but the action chapters are not that much fun to talk about, but the chapters where there's a bunch of characters sitting around bullshitting, like we can talk about forever because every statement has so much behind it. Whereas the action ones are like, yep, that happened. Immediately after what I just read, Melaine leaned forward on her hands until it seemed the sweat dripping from her face must fall onto the hot kettle. You know your fate, Avienda. You will be a wise one of great strength and great authority and more besides. You already have a strength in you. I, it saw you through your first test, and it will see you through this. My honor, Avienda said hoarsely. The pattern does not see G.E. Toe, Bear told her, with only a hint of sympathy, if that, only what must and will be. Men and maidens struggle against fate, even when it is clear the pattern weaves on despite their struggles. But you are no longer Fardaris Mai. You must learn to ride fate. Only by surrendering to the pattern can you begin to have some control over the course of your own life. If you fight, the pattern will still force you, and you will find only misery where you might have found contentment instead. So there's an interesting take on that in the Discord about free will. I think that what this is saying is you have free will within constraints. Mm-hmm. You know, if you struggle, if you try and fight the current, if you try and totally do, you know, opposite of where life is leading you, you're going to have a rough time and things are going to just slap you in the face over and over again. However, if you wait for opportunities and take advantage of them, life is going to go much better for you. And I think that especially the way it's written when Melaine is she like leans down on her hands and leans across the tent, like puts her face in Avienda's face is the way I'm imagining this, like as close as she possibly can. And she says, you know, your fate, Avienda. I think that she means that literally she's seen her fate. She has a good glimpse into it. You think she's talking about the, the test accepted test. Yeah. Yeah. The wise one accepted test, whatever you want to call it. The three ring terror on real. You know your fate, Avienda. Keep struggling yeah. against it. It's not going to work. You'll only find misery. I wonder if Avienda shared the wise the fate with the wise ones that she would have to fall in love with Rand, and that would understand. While yeah. reading this chapter, I also wondered if in the if any of the three wise ones in the tent already know. Avienda's fate from their own testing because it's so critical or from hers. Why wouldn't she teach? They made, I bet they, unlike the, I said, I who were like, yo, you don't, don't, you don't have to tell us what's going on. That's fine. Just, just take your accepted test and, and take it to heart and, and learn <laughs> and internalize it. The wise one's like, what the fuck happened? You tell me, <laughs> I, I need to know that shit. It may or may not. Well, but I, I wondered 
more more along the lines of I was wondering if Bear, Mullane, or Amis saw in their viewings of the future how critical Avienda would be. A remnant of a remnant and all that. I, that's tough. Yeah, yeah, that's tough. I don't I don't see right. That even if all the Aiel die, there will still be a remnant of a remnant, because Avienda has a bunch of great babies. <laughs> but not even that will happen because if they get them together early enough, if they get them to accept their fates, Rand loves the Aiel. He is the Aiel. Yes, sort of. Have I have I brought up the fact? I don't know if this is something we've talked about. I assume it it is the fact that Rand's wound in his side mirrors the wound in the Dark One's prison. You've brought that up before, but can you? reiterate that oh uh so this this goes along with the land is one with the dragon the dragon is one with the land and the wound in Rand's side is very much a bore drilled into the land and the slash across it is of course arid hall that exists on the land and i don't know just sort of i'm gonna wait for people to react here's like that parallel saying that in a recent episode but Okay, I'm not sure if that that was just sort of an idea I was or thinking about. As I, was I think you said it in it. a recent episode. Yeah. Maybe we just talked about it. Just the idea that, like, drilling the hole, like... Rand's body Ishmael. reflects the earth, and the earth right. has a hole in it as well. That's... You know? But yeah, the the hole the hole in his side sort of parallels the hole in the, in the tear and the... And I, yeah, I mean, like... We see it literally when he battles Ishmael and... The Sean Chan fight him and surge back and forth. So there is that sort of direct parallel sometimes. Lumen is asking if we think the symbol of the snake biting its own tail is a reference to the dragon. Mm, the great serpent and the dragon are different things, I think. Yeah, I think the great serpent is more of a metaphor for endlessness. Yeah, infinity. Egwene saying it is not proper. I'm just picking up where we left off. Yeah. Instead of answering, Amis said, Will Randall Thor refuse to allow her? We cannot force him. There and Melaine were looking at Egwene as intently as Amis. Thought that was interesting because they're like, Well, we can't force Rand to do anything. No, it's, that's true. They really can't. <laughs> but they sure can force Avienda to do basically whatever they want. <laughs> right. I just say they just leave that part out. <laughs> well, of course. That's an unsaid truth. Avienda has to do whatever they ask. Yes. She is an apprentice. <laughs> And we see that with Egwene, where she's. Uh, I have a little bit of cognitive dissonance the way with the way they treat Egwene and the way they treat Moraine, knowing they're both as as far as the wise ones know, Moraine and Egwene are on equal footing. But Egwene decides to be an apprentice. Yeah, but you know, in the beginning, they tell her like, "Listen, your eyes said I and all that, but if you want to learn from us, you have to learn from us the same way everyone else does, or you can go home." I see what you're saying, though. It is a little weird that Moraine... I was going to say Moraine is treated with respect, but Egwene is also. She's not disrespected, but she's treated like a student, like a pupil. No. She's treated like a student. Yeah, totally. And that's something that she chooses. But at the same time, I wonder how much of the Wise Ones change in attitude towards Aes Sedai has to do with the fact that 
they have a quote unquote Aes Sedai apprentice who's, you know, essentially equivalent to Avienda and just a stupid girl like everybody else. I think that's likely. I think that's highly likely that Egwene colors their opinion of Aes Sedai. Although they do eventually learn that she never was. You know, and part of me also wants to say that Egwene is a decent example of the kind of knowledge and I said I might have. And although she's young and quote unquote untrained, she's been through some shit that most I said I never have. So, you know, there are 250 year old I said I who have done nothing but sit in a library for the last 150 years. Nothing, nothing wrong with that, but it certainly doesn't isn't going to give you any kind of battle experience. These are academics, you know. It's different, um, and so Egwene has a lot of skill with the power, and I possibly quite a bit of skill that the Aiel wise ones do not. Just as far as knowledge of many weaves and and all that, right? But she learns a lot of other things about discipline and. Self-control. She learns from the wise ones, obviously, about dreaming. She learns about pain. Yeah. Not that she hasn't learned quite a bit about that from the Sean Chan. You know, when 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 people like she laughs at the beating she gets in the White Tower, but it's like, yeah, she's experienced like the Adam, which is able to give her pain in every single nerve and like extensive. Right. Long runs and, you know, marathon level type physical pain. And, and like, like just beating her with a slipper and she's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah she's it like, hurts, oh, but whatever. Yeah, I mean, you're bruising my ass, <laughs> but like, frankly, that's like. I'm not even blacking out from agony. This is nothing. Right. That's nothing. <laughs> and part of me feels that. So, like, I've, as I've, I've, uh, been cooking longer and longer i've burned the shit out of myself a bunch of times and i've also stuck my hand in hot things and like you know sort of ridden that edge between burning myself and not burning myself and so now like if i touch something hot but i don't actually burn myself it doesn't really hurt anymore or like it does but i don't like it's like oh whatever yeah that's that's pain and then i just move on you know and i feel like that's you sort of stop you become like, comfortable. Oh my god, I burned myself. It's like, no, you didn't. It's just you become comfortable with a certain amount of pain. You know it's not going to be a serious industry uh, injury, so you just move forward. Exactly. There exactly. are things to do. You know? And you're like, yes, I understand that that hurts, but it's, you know, I don't need to react to it anymore. And I feel like Egwene has been ramping up that level of pain book after book after book after book to the point where, like, the beam being beaten hours on end is just not that big of a deal. Uh, so they're questioning Egwene about what Rand will do when put in this situation or what he'll think. Egwene says, I don't know. I don't know him as well as I used to. And she was like, and he's like, or she says rather, I believe, I guess if you gave him a really good reason, he would let a girl sleep in his room. A good reason, Bear snorted. When I was a girl, any man would have been overjoyed to have a young woman show that much interest in him. <laughs> I'm, I would. <laughs> Bear, nothing has changed. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, 
Doesn't matter what universe, what turning of the wheel you're in, young men love having pretty women interested in them. It's very true. He would have gone to pick the flowers for her bridal wreath himself. Avienda started and glared at the wise ones of some of her old spirit. Well, because he just picked a bunch of fucking flowers for her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, we will find a reason even someone raised in the wetlands could accept. <laughs> and we see a little bit of Melaine saying, oh, this is Baron Melaine kind of speaking in tandem, saying that Egwene had been recently tasked with finding Nynaeve's or Elaine's dreams by herself. This is, uh, they're like, okay, if you want to do it, like you have to make the effort to find them yourself and then we'll help you. And she's, she's been failing so far. She hasn't been able to find their personal dreams, but they've been working with her and apparently put her in Ruark's dreams. And it's a she funny situation a when about that relationship, yeah, <laughs> Ruark views her in his mind as a little girl. So when she enters his dreams, he, she turns into a little girl and he like gives her a doll and he's like, Oh, you did well today. Very good. <laughs> it, it gives us a good idea of how entering someone else's dreams work which makes me think that when Lanfear entered Rand's dreams she somehow pulled him into some of telling she pulled him in to tell Iran Riyadh which is how because remember that where she like jumped into the pool and she was able to bite him and hurt his neck and Asmodian yeah. showed up and all that kind of stuff she, that had to have been her pulling him in to tell Iran Riyadh, not her entering his dream. She sees her dreams, sees his dreams, and makes a dream shard that's similar to it and pulls him into it. Hmm. So she Without can the women. she can join the party, <laughs> supplement the party. Oh dear! Oh Jesus! <laughs> but that's what happens, guys. Damn! It's the authors in the nineties were dirty people. All people are dirty people. Well, yes. <laughs> it's just the degree you talk about it, I think, for the most part. All men currently sitting in my basement are dirty, <laughs> dirty people. So Amise, essentially at the, at the ending of that little bit, is Amise saying, tonight I'll sleep away from the tents. So she's going to go sleep in a random location. And she says... It won't be very far. You should be able to find me if you try. And she says, basically, if I don't see you in my dreams, we'll talk about that in the morning. Which means, like, you need to get this, get your shit together and do this correctly. Getting stronger. Training montage. Here we go. <laughs> this is, yeah, very much just like teaching, teaching Elaine all about being a dreamer and they're teaching Avienda all about how to channel. Yeah. And stand Which up is not herself. to say that Elaine's not picking up a few things from them about channeling. Egwene. <laughs> um, but Thanks. that concludes the meeting, essentially. I agree with the radio. So, location of the dreamer should not affect the location of the dream. And so, why does Amis leaving camp matter? I feel they like that's to think a plot it does hole. matter. Is it? I always thought it was like maybe if you touch the person, you can help them. I don't know. I I I honestly think that's a little bit of a a mixed message that maybe she's just fucking with her and being like, I'm just going to sleep out, some, but but she sleeps in her own bed. Cody's suggesting placebo. That may be true. Maybe. But we yeah. also know the wise ones aren't necessarily the masters that they think they are. They are very good dreamers. 
but they're just not like, nor do they view the world like someone like Lanfear, who is spying on the wise ones. Right, or Perrin, who physical distance. A, the wolves seem to have a natural affinity for the... Yeah, physical distance means yeah. something to the Aiel, so they may believe it means something. That That could be it. But also, like Cody was suggesting, placebo, they may just think it means something to Egwene. Be like, maybe. listen, I'm only going to be a block away. You need to be able, you, you got to be able to find me. Like, maybe you can't find Nynaeve and Elaine. You don't even know where they are. Well, you know approximately where I am. Look harder. But I, I mean, I just feel like they say over and over and over again that, that that place of a lights full of dreams has no relationship to physical location. It does. Whatsoever. Yeah. So. And they uh, see you later when Egwene gets good. She can find anyone, anywhere, anytime. She doesn't even have to be asleep. She can kind of roll her eyes back into her head and find someone. Well, yeah, she can go into that like waking trance and end up the dream world. She's half in, half out. Yeah. Well, yeah, Serena, you you can't find someone's dreams if they're not dreaming, but she can enter the dream is what I should say. She can enter the dream and do whatever while walking or riding. As Bear was getting to her feet, Melaine spoke, and strangely for her, she was hesitant. I need, I must ask for your help, Bear, and you, Amice. The older woman settled back, and both she and Amice looked at Melaine expectantly. I would ask you to approach Dorinda for me. The last words came out in a rush. Amice smiled widely, and Bear cackled aloud. Avienda seemed to understand too, and be startled, but Egwene was lost. Then Bear laughed. You always said you did not need a husband and and did not want one. I have buried three, and would not mind another. They are very useful when the night is cold. A woman can change her mind. Lane's voice was firm enough, but belied by the deep flush in her cheeks. I cannot stay away from Bale, and I cannot kill him. If Dorinda will accept me as her sister wife, I will make my bridal wreath to lay at Bale's feet. And that's a direct reference to the, a man like that, you gotta marry, kill, or... <laughs> what was, what's the third thing? Stay away. Oh, leave, stay away from, yeah. <laughs> Which is always that's always an interesting approach to relationships. So you can't stop thinking about somebody, you gotta do something about it. Yeah, do something. And if they're already with someone, well you just discuss it with them. <laughs> with the woman first. <laughs> you know, we live in Portland where open relationships are a thing. It's just an interesting it's a thing parallel. more and more these days. It is. It's a, uh, especially in, among our age group, definitely. Virtually the same thing. Right. So. Emmeline asked them to ask as her first sisters in this. She says, I think Dorinda likes them, likes me well enough. And they all seem happy for her and praise her for finally making the decision. <laughs> right. I mean, that, that is very much like, I'm going to ask this boy out right like or but it's more significant than that there's a it's a little weird about the IO relationships where like because the woman it's like i'm gonna propose is basically what she's saying yes is what i what i think is like she's going to her friends and being like i want to propose will you support me and speak for me like talk me up to this couple to dorinda yeah well the woman yeah totally yeah bail well (laughs) And Bale's the guy who's, he's like the tallest fucking person in this book series. He's like the 7-7, like, 
really fucking tall for even for an Aielman. Like towers over Rand. Yeah. It seems that technically men can refuse, but it doesn't seem to be a thing that happens. It's not a good idea. (laughs) (laughs) And immediately after that, uh, they all bear in Amis hug Mulane and they're happy for her. And then they're like, Avienda, Gwaine, straighten this shit up. We're going home. And they leave and they're there cleaning. And immediately after they leave the tent, Avienda says, Egwene, could a woman of your land accept a sister wife? Avienda asked. And Egwene says, I don't know. I don't think so. I, maybe if it was a close friend. Avienda only grunted and began pushing up the side flaps. Such a key question. She's trying to resolve her honor, and one of the ways she could do it is if Elaine could accept her as a near sister. And I think Egwene just gave her hope, saying, like, you know, implying this is, would be unprecedented and super uncommon, but not impossible. And Navienda just goes, hmm. I'm amazed how, how much of the non-binary relationships Jordan included in his books. So the two young women walk out, and the wise ones are still kind of standing there, chatting. Now, Bear said, settling her shawl on her shoulders, you, Avienda, are not only as stubborn as a man, you cannot remember a simple task you have done many times. You, Egwene, are just as stubborn, and you still think you can linger in your tent when you are summoned. Let us hope running fifty times around the camp will temper your stubbornness. Clear your minds and remind you of how to answer a summons or do a chore. Off with you. Without a word, Avienda immediately began loping toward the edge of the camp, easily dodging dark shrouded tent ropes. Egwene hesitated only a moment before following. The Aiel woman kept her pace down so she could catch up. The night air froze her, and the cracked stony clay underfoot was just as cold, and tried to catch her toes besides. Avienda ran with effortless ease. As they reached the last tent and turned southward, Avienda said, Do you know why I study so hard? Neither the cold nor the running had made impression on her voice. Egwene was shivering so hard she could barely speak. No. Why? Because Bear and the others always point to you and tell me how easily you learn, how you never have to have something explained twice. They say I ought to be more like you. She gave Egwene a sidelong glance and Egwene found herself sharing a giggle as they ran. That is part of the reason. The things I am learning to do... Avienda shook her head, wonderment plain even by moonlight, and the power itself. I I have never felt like that, so alive. I can smell the faintest scent, feel the slightest stir in the air. It is dangerous to hold on to too long or too much, Egwene said. Running did seem to warm her a little, though now and again a shudder ran through her. I've told you that. And I know the wise ones have, too. Avienda merely sniffed. Do you think I would stab my own foot with a spear? For a time, they ran in silence. I just liked that moment, because what I was talking about before, where Avienda and Egwene have only just realized that the wise ones have been playing them off each other, saying, like, you should be more like Avienda, and Avienda, you should be more like Egwene, whenever they have a way to say, she's better than you, are you going to accept that? (laughs) They run in silence for a while, and I brought this up before, but after a long time, Egwene says, Did Rand really... I mean, Isandra? And Avienda's like, 
I do not think he did. She sounded angry. But why would she ignore switchings if she had shown no if he had shown no interest in her? <laughs> but Avienda's just like Right. I saw you look at her. She's <laughs> That also makes me wonder if Avienda's not jealous for Elaine, but she's jealous for herself. Oh, she's totally jealous for herself. Are you kidding? Absolutely. That's oh no 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 you can't touch any girl you're for Elaine Elaine nobody else just Elaine and me I mean just Elaine and me and Elaine and me just Elaine and pending negotiations <laughs> <laughs> and if I can get her as a first sister and a little after that we see Elaine say the way the maidens make her dress and Egwene admitted reluctantly any man would look and. A little further down, he belongs to Elaine, Avienda said fiercely, which she's been insisting for a long time. Egwene says, I admit I don't know your customs fully, but ours are not the same as yours. He is not betrothed to Elaine. Avienda keeps insisting that he belongs to her. And then Egwene says, but I don't understand what the wise ones are doing, but that seems really weird that they want you to sleep in his bedchamber. And then that kind of begins my readout. So I, I was actually a little confused about this because here, Avienda seems to be like, what? I can sleep next to him. It's no big deal. No problem. Why, why, why do you think it's a problem? But earlier she was like totally offended. So I have to wonder why is she okay with it now, even though earlier she was offended or is she just like covering up? Yeah. Or, is the, or does she actually want to be sleeping next to him? Because I agree with the radio. She's when she first hears it, she's afraid because she doesn't think that she can sleep next to him and not do anything. Ah, I don't. Nobody's worried about what Rand's going to do. He's a nice kid. <laughs> Until he bail fires Natrum's barrow. And then Avienda's way of like justifying that, not just to herself, but also to Egwene and everyone is saying like, well, you know. I've been on raids, and the maidens slept right next to the other people that were on the raid. Like, the, there's no reason sleeping next to him isn't the problem. But it is, kind of. She's just not fully breaking that down. She's It upsets her because the men she slept next to she wasn't interested in. It was just a right. camp situation. Yeah, it's it's very different sleeping next to your crush and sleeping next to assigned, dudes. yeah, to sleep next to someone you're really into, but haven't expressed that is a kind of stressful situation, you know. She, I think she doesn't trust herself, and that's what is driving her crazy. Well, because she has to follow these stupid G toe rules, so it's like, can you like both? be a horny teenager and follow Jito. I don't know. That's pretty tough. Hard enough being a horny teenager. Yeah, the 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 problem is that she is I think before she realized how much she was into Rand, she agreed to look after him for Elaine and she interprets that as meaning she has to shepherd him back to her in one piece. <laughs> in one piece i didn't really mean that but i'm just gonna let that hang there <clears throat> all right do the readout okay avienda talking 
I do not understand why that upsets you so. One Egwene saying that it's unreasonable for the wise ones to ask you to sleep near him. I do not understand why that upsets you so, she said when the last curse died. I have slept next to a man many times on raids, even sharing blankets for warmth if the, nights was, if the night was very cold, but it disturbs you that I will sleep within ten feet of him. Is this a part of your customs? I have noticed you will not bathe in the sweat tent with men. Do you not trust Randall Thor? Or is it me you do not trust? Her voice had sunk to a concerned whisper by the end. Of course I trust you, Egwene protested heatedly. And him. It's just that... She trailed off, uncertain how to go on. Aeol notions of propriety were sometimes stricter than what she had grown up with. But in other ways, they would have had the women's circle back home trying to decide whether to faint or reach for a stout stick. Avienda, if your honor is involved somehow... This was touchy ground. Surely if you explain to the wise ones, they will not make you go against your honor. There is nothing to explain, the other woman said flatly. I know I don't understand, Jito, Egwene began, and Avienda laughed. You say you do not understand, I said I, yet you show that you live by it. Egwene regretted maintaining that lie with her. It had been hard work to get Avienda to call her simply Egwene, and sometimes she slipped back but it had to be kept with everyone if it was to be if it was to hold with anyone you are i sedai and strong enough in the power to overcome amis and malane together avienda continued but you said that you would obey so you scrub pots when they say scrub pots and you run when they say run you may not know jito but you follow it it was not the same thing at all of course she gritted her teeth and did as she was told because that was the only way to learn dreamwalking and she wanted to learn, to learn everything, more than anything else she could imagine. To even think that she could live by this foolish G.E. Toe was simply silly. She did what she had to do, and only when and because she had to do it. They were coming back to where they had begun. As her foot hit the spot, Egwene said, That's one, and ran on through the darkness, with no one to see but Avienda, no one to say whether she went back to her tent right then. Avienda would not have told but it never occurred to Egwene to stop short of the fifty. She'll do it because she said she would, and that is G. She is totally missing the point. Obligation. <laughs> yeah. No, I just, I love the... You don't follow the, through with your obligations, you lose honor. This is how it works. And by running all fifty laps, she is engaging, earning G. It's amazing just how much she has become Aiel and but also like how well they portray the like self-doubt and guilt that is involved in being Aiel and how like that gets instilled in Egwene. It's not like Aiel culture is not one of confidence all the time. Like you are you are you have failed, right? Like you have betrayed an oath. You have think- to make up for it. Yeah. You are you're in the threefold land for a reason. And I think that at the very least for the the two rivers kids, all of them are follow Geto to some degree. They don't know what Geto is, which is a whole system that the Aiel have, right? There's mm-hmm. there's specific rules about specific things, but when they say they're going to do something, they they're not liars. They're not going to cheat you. They're not going to stab someone in the back. They're gen- generally have honor and follow through with their obligations, which is following G.E. Toe. 
I think that's... To Avienda... She can only see that Egwene... Gains honor, and... Follows through with her obligations. Thereby, yeah... Uh, essentially following G.E. Toe, and... Avienda can't imagine why Egwene doesn't think she understands it, because she clearly does. I'm nodding. To Egwene, it appears to be a foreign concept, but it's not. She just calls it something different. Forsaken, my favorite deep dish ale and anchovies. Why do we do this? We're talking nonstop, and then recording goes on, and we both shut the fuck up. Oh, I don't know, because we were in our goofing around flow state. It's what we're best at, guys. Mahala Rita is a good one, Cody. Damn, All actually, right. that's yeah. really yep, good. Yep, yep, yep. Of course, that would be the fourteenth pizza. That doesn't really fit in. Maybe that'll be the gluten-free one. See, Obscure, I used to do that when I, we didn't have to do the countdown when we recorded at the same time, but back back when it was just me and Patrick sitting in the basement, I used to just, like, secretly hit record sometimes when Patrick was, like, talking. And he'd be like, oh, so should we start recording? I'm like, oh, I've been recording for the last five minutes. <laughs> so I used to do that a lot more. Um, now, now we have to, since we're in separate spaces, we have to start recording at the same time. It's hard, Nim. It's a practiced skill. I mean, it's something that, that me and Patrick have been practicing at day in and day out for, oh my god, two and a half years now? <laughs> two, two years and three months that we get on this microphone and give interviews and talk into a microphone, and it, we still don't always get it right. Yeah, I feel like a big part of it is, Nan, it sounds like you did this already, but... Um... Having someone on the other side of the microphone to talk to is, it was still weird at first because you know that mic's in front of you and that changes the way you think and act. But once you get used to having it there, yeah. you just kind of forget. And this is just me now. I don't even really, you know, think, think about it too much. And, and one of the tricks that I uh, like to use if I'm recording and there's not actually someone else sitting there is like the, you know, it's what I call the rubber ducky technique that someone, someone taught it to me as a programming technique, but it works pretty well for recording as well. You set up a chair in the position of someone who you would be talking to and you talk and you put a little rubber ducky in the chair and you talk to the rubber ducky and that helps you have a target to project at and basically gives you, you know, even if the rubber ducky isn't responding and it shouldn't, let's get that straight, the rubber ducky should not respond. But you can sort of, you know, pretend <laughs> that it is, and you can talk to it as though it is someone else who's sitting there. Um, and that gives you, you know, and then when you actually have to do the recording, you just talk to the rubber ducky. And then the rubber ducky's like, why is there a madman <laughs> in my head? <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I think that's a, one helpful tip. And the other helpful tip is just, you know, like I said, 
uh, practice for years. I feel like you can also overpractice specific answers. So I think there's you, practicing narrating and talking into a microphone is one thing, but like over, you can overpractice like my specific answers. And then what I'll do is I'll trying to be answering a question that I practiced a bunch of times and I'll jump around in my answer because I already know what it is in my head. And then I'll try and hit all the points, but I won't do them in any particular order. And I can actually like really get confusing because I'm, I've over-practiced, if that makes sense. And I've forgotten, like, that's one of the reasons we don't talk about these podcasts, these episodes, or these chapters before we start recording. Because then we're like, wait, did we talk about that already? Or have we made that point? Or what order? Like, It's hard to sound genuine when you're just reiterating something you already said. It feels weird. That's something I do... When me and Seth are doing Twitch stuff, or even with this, I make sure that my face is small or in a place that I can't see it, because otherwise I'll end up watching my face and just criticizing myself in my head, and then I forget what I'm talking about or doing. If you ever hear me, a lot of times I'll peter out when I'm talking, and it's either because I start listening to myself and thinking about what I'm saying and how I'm saying it, or I start thinking about like what I look like on the screen. Yeah, see there, I started looking at myself then. like got all like weirded out by my face. Thank you for listening to the Wheel of Time Spoilers podcast. Rate us in the Apple Podcast app or support us on Patreon. Is that good enough?